So today, um, I'm going to be speaking still on the end times. And the reason that I believe it's important that we spend time here is that we are going through the parables of Jesus. We've been doing that for the past number of weeks here. Um, And the parables that we're going to get into in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 deal with the end times. And so before we really can just jump into those parables, we need to continue to prepare ourselves. So today we're going to be talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is, a, is the topic of our conversation today. There are many things in this world that would serve to confuse us and bring all kinds of deception in every aspect of life. Deception, I believe, deception today is at its highest form that it's probably ever been in history. And here is the deal. It's only going to get worse as time goes on. Don't expect it to get less confusing. Don't expect it to become more truthful. (laughs) Only expect things to get more deceptive as time moves on. And I don't know how you deal with it. I know how I deal with it. But I have a hard time listening to the news today. I have a hard time listening to the, to the mainline media today. I have a hard time listening to our politicians today because there is so much just unapologetic lying going on. And it's not even, they can't even hide it anymore because they have videos of them speaking earlier and then saying one thing, and then saying something the absolute opposite just a little bit later, and they don't even apologize for it. I mean, it's just open lies and deception. And it drives me crazy, quite honestly. I mean, I don't know how people can continue to believe the lying and the deception that's happening and accept it. I mean, we're getting to the point where we're so off base that it's just unbelievable that that we're continuing to accept what's going on. And this isn't right. This isn't the way our government or any other leader should live. There is no excuse for this, and there is no, there is no way we can condone this and, and live with this other than the fact that that's just the age of the Antichrist that's happening around us. It's just the part of it. Think about the way the enemy works. The enemy works in deception. He doesn't care how he deceives. He just works in deception. The Bible says that the devil, the Satan, is the father of lies, and he cannot speak the truth. It's not in his character. He is a liar from the very beginning. The Bible also says that Satan is not God's equal. In any way or shape or form is Satan equal to God. So the only way that the enemy really can battle against us and against God is through trickery and deception. Because if he goes head to head with God, he's going to lose. So he'll go through back doors or he'll go through deception. The enemy's method is to deceive and to destroy at any cost. And you'll recognize that Satan and his demons, they don't come out to you or any way most of the time with red suits and pitchforks and red horns. 
they come in in very subtle ways of trying to be your friend and trying to take you down a path that you shouldn't go down and they make it very convenient. And I, it's just very obvious. I'm sure we all can see it in the world that we live in today. It's almost impossible to get a straight answer anymore to the many questions and issues that not just our nation but our world is facing on many, many, many fronts. Why is this? Why is this? It's because the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. It's been that way forever, and it's not going to end. So we need to understand as much as we can about this spirit of Antichrist. What is it, and how do we defend ourselves against it? Now, personally, I'm a firm believer that we are living in the end days. I really do believe that we're the generation that's going to usher in the kingdom. When I look at everything that's happening in the world, when I look at Israel becoming a nation in 1948, when I look at the, the, the Six-Day War in 1967 where Israel captured Jerusalem and have the city now as well as the country, when I look at that, when I look at all the prophecies that are coming to bear when it comes to end-time revelation knowledge, I truly believe that we're that generation. And I'm not setting dates when I say that. I just believe that's the urgency of the hour that we live in. And I don't say that to be, uh, to be doom and gloom. I don't say that to be uh, afraid. I say that so we can encourage each other. <laughs> that we can say, look up, our redemption is drawing nigh. And that we can have a good reason to be sold out for Jesus today. Not just because we can check the box that we come to church and we can be religious. No, really that we need to be living for Christ because we know that his coming is near. I believe that with all my heart. One of the major signs of the last days is the spirit of the Antichrist. And it will increase and it will become more prevalent all the time. That's why, I'm, that's why I said it's never going to end. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse because that's one of the warning signs that is given in Scripture that's going to happen in the, when the times are coming to a close. Paul warned the church in Thessalonica about the coming of the Antichrist because there were some false teachers that were already in that day, already the false teachers were infiltrating the church, giving false teachings and incorrect information regarding the coming of Jesus. And they were already afraid that they had missed the rapture or the taking away of the church and that the day of the wrath of God had already started. And so it caused some concern and um, problems. So this is our text for today. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So can I ask you to stand with me as we read this? And you can read along with me or you can open your Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Paul says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by a letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Let's pray. 
Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we really need your help here, Holy Spirit, to help us discern these words and what's going to be said. God, we want to be right. We want to be accurate in our understanding and in our discerning. We don't want to be um, overinflating any of the truth. We want to make sure that we're speaking only truth. So I pray that you help us. Help us to hear what's being said. Help us to hear what's being written. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. See, in Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonians, he made it very clear that all true believers would be caught up to meet Christ in the air and be taken from this world before the period of God's wrath would be poured out on mankind in the coming tribulation. And there were false teachers in that day that had already were claiming that Jesus had already come and that they have, if you were there, you had been left behind. And you can see a couple things here that are very important. First of all, it was very obvious that these people were upset, as I think we would be upset if someone was coming to saying that the rapture had happened and we hadn't gone. When we feel like we truly are ready to receive the Lord, I think that would be very concerning to us, correct? That I think it, it needs, to some, needs to be corrected. I think the second thing is here that is that, and this is something maybe we don't appreciate, but they were expecting, in the church 2,000 years ago, they were expecting Jesus to come back then. He was, they were expecting the return of Christ at that time. And so if they're expecting the return of Christ at that time, shouldn't we be? I mean, there is nowhere in Bible in the Bible that says that we aren't to be living a life expecting the Lord to return. And there are many people that say, well, we shouldn't be doing that because we live with our heads in the clouds and, and we're not relevant to, the, to today because all we're thinking about is a rapture and all these things. And, and, you know, that's not biblical. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that we shouldn't be living a life expecting the Lord to return today. And that's not wrong. And it's not wrong because we also don't know when our last breath will be. And that would be our personal taking away or our personal rapture. And we don't know that either. So we should be living with a sense of expectation and a sense of excitement and a sense of joy knowing that today I could see Jesus. And I think it's, if we struggle with that, I think we might have, too much love for this world. And I'm not saying this world is bad, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive to live. But we have to make sure we keep our perspective correct. And that we don't allow that the love and the deception of, the, of this world to want us to stay here when God says, no, I have a better plan there, and I'm calling you to come home, whether it's my last breath or the corporate rapture. I'm good with that. And I want to encourage you to be good with that. Paul is saying in this passage in 2 Thessalonians that the wrath of God's judgment had not begun yet. They had not missed the rapture. And now he goes on to describe, which we're going to go on to now, he describes, beginning at verse 5, what's going to happen, what has to happen before the the age of the Antichrist or the Antichrist is revealed and the rapture happens and the tribulation begins. So let's study a little bit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, Paul goes on to say, Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? 
And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Verse 8, And then the lawless one will, lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Remember, Satan only works through deception. That's his tool. Verse 10, And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Can you see how the, how the enemy uses deception as the tool to twist the truth and to lead people astray? That's his tool. The lawless one here is Antichrist. So we know the Bible uses many terms to describe the Antichrist. Lawlessness is one of them. And even though the actual person of the Antichrist has not yet been revealed, and he won't be revealed until the, after the rapture, even though he has not been revealed, the spirit, however, of the Antichrist, and Antichrist is anything that's Antichrist. Anything that's against Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. And he's been, it's been active since the beginning of human history, even back in the garden with Adam and Eve, the first sin. It was the spirit of Antichrist that was in Satan at that time that brought deception into Adam and Eve. So when will he be revealed and why is that important? I think that's what we want to talk about now. When will he be revealed and why is it important? Well, listen to this. In the time prior to the end, knowing that his time is short, evil and chaos and even greater deception will result. Because the devil knows his time is short, he's going to be on a rampage. He's not sitting by idly waiting for his time to be over. He is coming against God, as Greg indicated earlier. The closer we try to get to God, the more you can expect an attack of the enemy. But that doesn't, should not scare you or should stop you from pressing in. It should really give you more encouragement that you're on the right track because when you're feeling pressure when you're feeling the attack of the enemy it means that he doesn't like what you're doing if you're not doing anything that would be impacting his kingdom then quite honestly he'll leave you alone and you won't feel a lot of pressure or a lot of pushback but as soon as you start in, encroaching on his kingdom and as soon as you start doing things that are godly in your life and in the lives of other people then you can expect a pushback because he doesn't like that so what will happen here is that as he is ramping up his attack against us, either people will have great fear and unrest. They can live in a sense of fear always, of a sense of I'm never going to live, I'm never going to survive, and, it can, and the enemy can bring great fear. And we know that's not of God because perfect love casts out all fear. But the enemy would bring fear in his deception. Or the other thing he can do is that he can bring a false of sense security in our lives, meaning that there are many people that will take the approach that Jesus is not going to return in our generation. 
We have lots of time left. We've been talking about the rapture forever. I, my earliest days being brought up in this church, in the Assemblies of God Church, I've heard people say Jesus is coming. I've heard people say that there's gonna, he's coming you know, within their lifetime. And, and I've heard it all my life. Does that mean he's not coming? It means that we're that much closer to his coming is what it really means. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Peter says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. That's just the way the enemy works. That's just the way it is. So I believe it's important for us to study and to be aware of the times that we're in so that we can have peace and that we can have assurance that our faith is good and we're moving in the right direction and we're on the right road as we study. Amen? Is that good? Are you okay with that? Thank you. There are three things that must happen, at least three things that will happen before the Antichrist is revealed on earth. At least three things. And I want to talk about these three. Number one, the secret power of lawlessness must increase. Number two, the rebellion, the apostasy, or the falling away must occur. And then number three, the one who restrains must be removed from the earth. I want to take the next few minutes that we have, and I want to talk about these three things. So let's start talking about number one, the secret power of lawlessness must increase. What is this power of lawlessness that we're, looking, that we're talking about? What's it look like? Well, let me tell you. Let me give you a brief de- a description of it. It's a deception in the form of twisting the moral and unchanging truths of God's holy word into a truth that is shifting and changing to meet the demands and the feelings of a fallen generation. A lot of words, but basically what it says is that it's a, tr- it's a truth compromised. It's that this lawlessness will come in a way that says, I don't have to believe the Bible and the, what the Bible says. I can believe it. I can make up my own truth. I can make up my own version of what's right for me. It's my truth. It may not be your truth. It's my truth, and I can live in that. And when I start taking that approach, that it's my truth based upon my feelings, understand what that is. That is the spirit of the Antichrist, and it is a sense of lawlessness. Just stop and take a look. What's going on around us? Look around at the world around us. How bad is it getting? Isn't it interesting? Let me just take this little rabbit trail just for a second. Isn't it interesting that the sin that God hates the most, what is that? What is the sin that God detests in a man's life more than anything else? Pride, right? God says, I detest a prideful man. And isn't it interesting how we are in, we're celebrating, I think June is the month to celebrate pride. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that those that are rebelling against God when it comes to sexual orientation, they're taking great pride in that. It's called Pride Month. And they celebrate it. Isn't it interesting how they're celebrating the thing that God hates the most? 
Does that not tell us that we're twisting the truth? Does it not testing, telling us that morality is going downhill quickly? That's just an example. When the Bible isn't relative today anymore because it's an old book, because it was written thousands of years ago, and it's not today relevant in 2022 because we're enlightened, we're intelligent now, we're smarter people than they were, we don't need the truth of God's word. That is the spirit of Antichrist where they can make up their own versions of the truth that would satisfy their desires. And how does deception start? Most of the time, deception begins with a simple question of authority. Most of the time, deception begins with a question. Did God really say? Isn't that how it started for Adam and Eve? Didn't the serpent come to Eve and say, Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat from this tree? He didn't say, the enemy didn't tell Eve that she shouldn't. She asked the question. He asked the question of her. Did God really say? And do you know that that's still happening today? Today the enemy continues to bring questions to people. Does the Bible really mean what it says? That sexual relationships outside of the marriage covenant is wrong? Does the Bible really say that? Is that really true? Or if we love each other and we're committed to each other, then why do we need to get married? Why can't we just cohabitate? Why do we have to get married? What's the significance of marriage? Do you hear the questions? Or is it really wrong to, live, to love someone of the same sex? Is it really wrong to do that? I mean, you can just hear the questions that Satan brings to people. Is it really wrong to drink in excess and to carouse with my friends when everybody else is doing it? Is it really wrong? Is it really wrong to cheat on my income taxes? I mean, come on, the government doesn't need my money, and they're, they're wasting my money anyway, so why, I, why do I need to pay all my income? I mean, you see, th- th- there's just many, 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 many aspects where the enemy brings questions to our lives that he says, is it really wrong? And I can look at that, and if I don't answer that correctly the way the Bible answers it, do you see what's happening Do you see where I'm going with that? Do you see how easily it is to go down the path and I can't get back from? When this happens over time, increasing lawlessness is the outcome. When I continue to believe and I answer the questions the way I want to answer them because it makes my life a little bit easier and I'm not really going back to God's word, then I'm beginning to allow lawlessness to start in my life. And once that starts, there's no ending it. It's a slippery slope. And once you start, it's hard, if possible, to stop it on our own. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to have Christ. Think of it this way. Satan is diametrically opposite and opposed to everything God stands for. He's in no way God's friend, and he's in no way your friend. So therefore, if God creates law and order, right, which he does, God creates law and order, and if Satan is diametrically opposite of God, then Satan creates lawlessness and disorder. That's the way he operates. So what is Satan's purpose for lawlessness other than to destroy God and all he created? That's a good question. It's hard for us to really believe the fact that Satan really thinks that he can destroy God. 
Do you know that? I mean, his goal is to destroy God. His goal is to sit on God's throne. That's what Satan thinks he can do. And we look at it and say, that's impossible. You're just a created being, Satan. How can you sit in the creator's throne when you're a created being? See, we can look at it that way and we can see the common sense. But this is why deception is so powerful because Satan really believes he can do that. And if he believes he can do that, then that's how he uses deception in our life to get us to believe things that are just, Ill, just as illogical. You see, we can read the same Bible that Satan does because recognize Satan reads the Bible. He knows the Bible and he knows what this prophesied outcome is, but he just chooses not to believe it. And so we read that same Bible and we might look at the same things, maybe those things in the Bible that are for our good, that is used for us, but yet it's not what I want. I want to do something else with my life. I want to go this way. And God says, no, I want you to go that way. And I can be just as deceived as Satan is deceived if I chose to go my way. So let's learn the lesson. So what is the real purpose of lawlessness? The purpose of lawlessness is to destroy the faith of believers so that they lose hope and trust in Jesus. The purpose of lawlessness is to destroy your hope, destroy your trust in God. And what this does is lawlessness now, when this takes effect, this prepares the way for complete rebellion and for the revealing of the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. It's preparing for the revealing of the Antichrist. Lawlessness has to increase. This is what a commentary says that I read recently. It says, it is, completely, it is a completely evil and skillfully destructive force that deceives and entraps those who reject Christ and do not accept God's complete truth. It also prepares many, hear this, many within the church to turn from the true faith and to accept the lies that will be increasingly more common, thus preparing the world and the church, if you will, to receive the man of lawlessness as the Antichrist. You see, the increase of lawlessness not only impacts the evil and the world, but it impacts the church. Because it involves, it involves a movement against God's moral laws that act to restrain evil and to maintain human decency and ethics in our society. The spirit of lawlessness seeks freedom from all moral restraint and takes pleasure, hear this, it takes pleasure in all forms of rebellious behavior, beginning in the church. Now, yes, I know this is happening outside of the church. It's very obvious it's happening outside of the church. Just look around. But listen, folks, we have to be, we have to be aware of what's happening in our church, in our body, in me, in you. The Bible says that we are to test the fruit of people. Test my fruit. Test your fruit. And it also says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. God judges the church before he can judge the world. Because if I don't rule over the spirit of lawlessness that causes rebellion, then people will lose 
including ourselves, could potentially lose any sense of true love and compassion. That's the resulting work of lawlessness. And when that happens, the church will lose its love for God and its impact in the world. When the church starts to accept a lawlessness in any form, then we lose our impact in the world because now we're just like the world. We just call ourselves religious. We just put on a religious hat and we just call ourselves religious when in fact we're not any different than the world. Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12 says that, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many, if not most, will grow cold. Not a good sign. Not a good place to be. We don't want to grow cold of our love for Christ. We don't want to lose our compassion for the world that's lost and dying. We want to be effective. We want to be on fire for Jesus that we can be a change agent in this world, not a church that's losing it. And this takes us to the second point. The rebellion or the apostasy, which is the falling away, must occur before the man of lawlessness is exposed. Satan is determined to destroy as many people as he can, especially those in the church. Especially those in the church. Greg, you were right on this morning when you said what you said, that when you're pressing in to the Spirit, when you're pressing into God, know the enemy's going to come against you because he is out to destroy us. And in the last days, many people who once followed Christ will abandon biblical, tr- biblical truth and, re- and will reject God's word and, his- and their true faith in God. See, this is a point that we don't like to think about. We like to talk about this, but Paul paints a pretty dark picture in the end. We need to think about that. He talks to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. This is Paul talking about people in the church. He also says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Again, not a popular teaching. I get it. Nobody likes to hear this. Maybe that's why we're not the biggest church in town. I don't know. But we preach the truth because we do it in love because this is the only way we can really prove our love is to teach truth. If I want to prove you, if I want to teach you something that's not truth because it's a little bit more painful to talk about, a little more difficult, I'm not loving you then, folks. I'm just telling you that. I love you because I want to, we want to talk about truth. And here's the other thing. I I don't want to focus on arguments here because some would say that you can't lose your faith. Once saved, always saved. I don't think the Bible says that. I think the Bible says that we can lose our faith. I think it says so right here that people will no longer listen to this. So at some point, they were listening to sound teaching. At one point, they were following Christ in their proper way. But something has changed now. The rebellion or the apostasy 
it, it must happen in the church. Let me tell you this. It must happen in the church, not in the world, because by definition, you can't fall if you weren't standing. <laughs> you can't fall from something that you weren't standing on. You, that's not falling away. You're falling away when you were standing on something and now you fall away from something. That's apostasy. And the world is not standing for Christ right now, so how can they fall from Christ? So this is talking about the church, and this is talking about people and churches that can lose their teaching, they can lose their faith, they can lose their belief, they can lose their ethics, they can fall away from God, and that's what has to happen as the man of, rebellion, of, the man of lawlessness is to be revealed. That's why it's important that we talk about this in the church. The apostasy in the church will involve two steps or phases. Number one, it will be a theological apostasy. And this refers to teachings that talk about the love and the mercy of God, yet they stop short of God's complete truth when it comes to God's judgment and his hatred of sin. Yes, God is love. I appreciate that. But God also hates sin. People that are theologically falling, they want to talk about the love of God and his total acceptance of them regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of the way they're living. They just want to say that God's affirming me in my lifestyle because he loves me. God's affirming my bad choices, my poor choices because he loves me. Yes, God does love you. I'm not going to argue that fact. But I can't agree and I can't affirm a lifestyle that isn't living for God. I can't affirm that, and he will not either. A lifestyle that is living in open sin, he will not affirm that as being okay because that's not his character. He can't. So that leads to the second thing, and that's moral apostasy. And this refers to, the, refers to those that claim to be believers in Jesus, yet they continue to live lives that are in open rebellion to the moral truths of God's word. And by, so, by doing this, then they are corrupting the truth and they not only tolerate it, but they're embracing it. And they're taking pride in their enlightened knowledge. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, number one. A lying tongue. Open lying. Hands that shed innocent blood. Abortion. Let's call it for what it is. It's shedding innocent blood. God hates that. There's no way that we can stand and allow abortion and call ourselves a Christian. This is not a political statement. This is the truth of God's word. God hates hands that shed innocent blood and the baby is an innocent person. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Man, think of the agendas right now in this world that are wicked. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stores up, stirs up conflict in the community. If we're not seeing this happening right now, then, we're, then our eyes are closed. Then we're just not being at all receptive to what's going on. And then he says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. 
That's what happens when the church is morally apostate and theologically apostate. And that's what's happening in the churches. And here's what's going to happen. Here's God's judgment that's coming at some point in time. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You don't think Jesus knew the times that we were going to be living in in the end? He's speaking it right now. How many people do we know? How many churches do we know that are look good on the outside, but inside they are promoting lawlessness and things that are just wrong? Without spelling out specific churches or denominations, I've seen them. Maybe you've seen them as well. I was down in Grand Rapids last weekend with my new baby, my grandson, going down the road, and there was a church with a placard. And it had in their, in their church sign, and, I hate, and it's so sad that the rainbow has becoming what it's been now distorted as. In their church name is a rainbow, and it says things like, we accept you the way you are. They're promoting it. I mean, they're openly marrying people of that way. And, and, and I'm not picking on them. I'm not picking on people like that. I love people like that. And, and if, if someone walked into this church that was having that problem, I would, I would teach them. I would work with them. I wouldn't cast them out, but I wouldn't affirm them. I wouldn't say it's okay. I would say, I love you. Let's work through this. It's not right. No more than any other sexual sin is right or any other sin is right. Why do we give that particular sin its own category? It's wrong. And we need to speak against it as in any other sin. So when they're doing this in the name of God's love and acceptance, it's theological and moral apostasy that gives false hope and security because it centers on human desires and our feelings and our activities and goals of self-interest that are popular and that make me feel good in the moment. And when I preach that way, that I have no risk of offending anybody. <laughs> I have no risk of stepping on anybody's toes. Here's the point, guys. When theology goes bad, it's not long before morality follows. When theology goes bad, it's not long before morality follows in the pit. That's a good understanding of what it means to be spiritually apostate and falling away. So let's look at the third thing quickly. The third thing here is that the one who restrains must be removed from the earth. The one who restrains must be removed from the earth. So the obvious question is, who is he that restrains? Well, this is undoubtedly the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is the active part of the Trinity on earth today, and he has been since the early church began on the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago. When the Holy Spirit fell on those in the upper room that we talked about earlier, that was the beginning of the church. That's when the Holy Spirit took residence on earth. And he is the Holy Spirit. He is the God's representative, if you will. He is God's part of the Trinity that is now living and and dwelling on earth. Scripture teaches that the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came to dwell then. And that's the way he came into the earth. That's the way the Holy Spirit was introduced to the earth on the day of Pentecost. 
And there's going to be a day when he is taken out of the earth as well. He came into the earth a a specific way, and he's going to go out of the earth a specific way. And the way he goes out is is in the rapture because the Holy Spirit is taking the bride of Christ out of this church and now the restraining power of the Holy Spirit and the church that was here restraining evil with him are removed. And now the Antichrist is unleashed because now the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is removed. Our text says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way, until he's removed. And then the lawlessness, lawless one will be re- re- removed or revealed, I'm sorry, revealed. So just as Scripture teaches the Holy Spirit came to earth, the Bible also teaches that he will, will be removed from earth. And as long as he's present here, as long as the Holy Spirit is here, as long as the church is here, evil will be restrained. As difficult and as evil as it is, it's restrained. Imagine what it's going to be like when it's not restrained. Imagine what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit isn't here or the church isn't here to speak out against wrong. Imagine the evil that will be here. This is where we believe and we, we believe and we promote that there will be a pre-trib rapture where the church will precede the revealing of the Antichrist by being removed from this earth. First Thessalonians chapter 4, this is the teaching that Paul had spoken about earlier to the Thessalonians. He says this, beginning of verse 16. He said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. That is a good day for us. Bad day for the world. A good day for us. Jackie, would you come, please? There's so much more that we could talk about about the Antichrist. We just don't have time to talk about it today. We basically are just scratching the surface of really what this is all about. But I want us to take a few things away from this message today. I pray that we are all receptive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us today. I I think it's so important that we recognize that we are appointed to be living in this day. I mean, God wants you to be alive right now because he's a purpose for you somewhere in your life. I'm not sure where it's at. It could be in your home. It could be in your workforce. It could be in your workplace. But you have a reason to be here. You have a reason to be aware of what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. You have a reason to stand against the Antichrist. Because with that, then you can be promoting God's kingdom in a world spinning out of control. Apparently spinning out of control but yet it's in perfect control because God's in control of it. It just has to go this way so that he will, that, so the end can come. And then when the end comes, then the kingdom of heaven will be revealed. So this is not a, pass, a message of fear and doom at all, this is, but rather this is one is that we're trying to bring a sense of purpose to our lives, trying to bring a sense of realization that God has so much more for us in store. So here's a couple of questions, some questions we need to talk about as we're ending today. First of all, am I ready? 
Am I ready? Do I have my heart and relationship right with Christ? Am I ready for his return? Am I I welcoming his return? Secondly, am I living my life as an example for others, leading them to a relationship with Christ? What's my life look like? Have I grown cold like the church is going to grow cold? Am I a... Am I a point of confusion to the world because I say one thing and live another thing? Or am I living consistently with what I believe? And then thirdly, am I looking for opportunities to share Jesus with my friends? Am I asking the Lord, give me an appointed time today. Give me an appointment with somebody today. Give me a reason to speak to somebody today. And then give me the words to speak. Give me Holy Spirit-filled words to speak in the life of who I would run across today and be bold and by witness for Jesus. The Bible says that if I am ashamed of him, that he will be ashamed of me. So be bold for Jesus today. Let's do our job building the kingdom today. Let's do our job preparing the world for this coming Antichrist that's coming. Let's pray. Father, I love you today, and I thank you, Jesus. And Father, there are so many things in my life that I need to deal with. Lord, first of all, I want to answer these questions. Yes, I want to make sure that I am ready to receive you. I want to make sure that I am ready to welcome you back into that kingdom, that I will hear the trumpet call. And so the way I do that is for forgiveness of my sins. And I come to you again and afresh today, and I say, Father, forgive me today. Holy Spirit, continue to lead me in ways of righteousness. And then, Lord, as I do that, I pray that you give me the the strength and you give me the fortitude and you give me the conviction, my Holy Spirit-given conviction to live a life of righteousness in front of a dark world, that I wouldn't be tempted to go down the path of my friends because everybody's doing it. I can stand against the tide and I can do it in love. And Father, that I pray that you give me a divine appointment that I can speak the truth into someone's life. That I can live it and I can teach it and I can speak it. And I can do so boldly, proudly knowing that I have a relationship with you. God, I pray that that's our desire. I pray that that's the heart of this church. And for all those that are listening today, possibly online, that God, I pray that this would bring a sense of conviction as needed. But more importantly, Father, and or as importantly, that it would bring a sense of peace and a sense of assurance and a sense of joy that our, we're living in a time that it's appointed because it's your time. So God, I pray you just give us the ability to live it and live it well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing before we go.
Father, I pray that we allow you to shake up our ground, that we would allow you to shake up the religion in our life and truly make it real, that we would really have a sense of knowing who you are, a relationship with you, not just a knowledge of you, but a relationship with you that would maybe shake us up a little bit, maybe make us a little uncomfortable sometimes and maybe the things that we're doing. But God, it's all for our own good. It's all because you love us and we welcome that. We embrace that. So, Father, I pray that as we go to our homes today, that, God, that this service goes with us, that the Spirit goes with us into our homes today, into our workplace this week, where we go and where we fellowship with our friends and family and do the things that we do. I pray, God, that we would be that living example, that we could be anticipating your soon return and be living for you actively, promoting and building the kingdom of God in this place. As the enemy tries to destroy as many, our goal is to build as many. Our goal is to save as many as the enemy is trying to destroy. Help us with that, our, with that, with this way, our, our Father. I pray that you just give us strength to do that. Give us your encouragement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you need to talk, if you need to pray, I'm always available. Give me a call sometime if you'd like to, but just fellowship with each other as we go today. Amen. Be blessed.